Welcome to the Betterism Podcast, a learning community seeking out life's unusual lessons from its unlikely places. I'm your host, Glenn Binger, author, teacher, and coach, and I'm here to help spark some collective growth. I hope you'll stick around and teach us a thing or two, but first, a few words from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Lifeblood. That's L-I-F-E-B-L-U-D. Lifeblood.co. Lifeblood is a bioenergetic focused supplement company. They really focus and hone in on the energy restoration process of the body. Um, Their website has a ton of great educational resources on it, uh, specifically for each of their products. Uh, Those products range everything from uh, lion's mane to chaga extracts. Um, They have vitamin E. Personally, I'm a big fan of their magnesium supplement. I use that consistently, especially during the winter months to get me through the stress that comes with living in the Northeast. Um, Their supplements, I really would like to highlight because they focus on the quality of their source material. There's no fillers. There's no chemical solvents in any of the uh, extractions. Um, And really, their products are some of the purest and highest quality in their class. So check them out. That's lifeblood.co, L-I-F-E-B-L-U-D dot C-O. If you use the promo code BETTERISM, you can save 10% off your order. That's lifeblood.co. All right, hi, friends. Welcome to the Betterism Podcast. I'm your host, Glenn. Today we have a special guest, local Jersey friend, Jersey Shore native, Jay Alders, artist and writer working on a book. Jay, welcome to the show, man. Glenn, thanks, man. I'm uh, really excited to chat with you again. It's been a while. I'm going to say over a year, maybe, since we had a lengthy conversation. So I'm really stoked. Yeah, we did that little uh, the Q and A for the blog a little while ago, yeah. and that was obviously pre-pandemic, so life was different. <laughs> yes, everything was different then, for sure. So we um, last time we spoke, we were talking about the initial stages of obviously your work and your art. Um, but I figured we would start off with your book because I know you were kind of in like the middle phase of like polishing, finishing up writing. Have you made progress there and what's the book looking like (laughs) these days? Yeah. Um, as, as you know, better than I do, since you're a more experienced writer, uh, that, that middle phase that we're talking about, that middle is is very, uh, large, large, it's a large span of time, that middle, right? It's like, yes, it is the same with the same with the painting. It's like the the final touches is always like the part that has the most oof, but it takes the least amount of time. And the rough sketch takes the least amount of time and everything in the middle is like forever. And so, yeah, so I have made a lot of progress. The book technically is done. And, um, as we, as you may remember, my intention all along has been to self publish and, um, started looking for, well, I went through several rounds of editing, I should preface. Um, I did uh, editing with my developmental editor, several billion rounds of that. And then I went through and got an editorial assessment done, lots of editing, and um, started looking for a book designer. And, and when I put out a feeler on my social media, like, hey, looking for some book designers, I won't know anyone great. Um, it just so happened, which I had no idea that one of my fans is also a senior VP at like a, one of the most gigantic publishing houses, which I probably Excellent. shouldn't name yet, but a, a huge one that everyone would have heard of. And he right. uh, basically does book design, but he also kind of gave me a talking to and said, Hey, I think, you know, let's, let me see your book. 
we read it through, and then he did. And uh, he said, I really think this is something that we should consider going the traditional route for, because he was really pleased with what he was reading. Coming from a senior VP at a really big book house, that meant a lot to me. So currently, I'm, yeah. in, I'm in the uh, even longer phase of getting a, you know, hopefully getting a deal with a literary agent and uh, that whole thing, which is a very lengthy and a very new process to me. So depending on how that mm -hmm. goes, I'm kind of giving myself like, you know, three or four months or, or more to kind of get that sorted out. And if it goes that route, really cool, which was, would be a total shock to me. And if it doesn't go that route, I'll kind of default back to the self-publishing route. But either way, the content is, as far as I can tell, done. I'm really, really happy with it. It's been a um, both torturous and rewarding experience thus far. And um, yeah, it's been just, it's been really wonderful. It's been a great experience. I've learned a lot, both about writing as well as, as my story and myself, which is a lot of what I've written about. Mm. It's cool too, to kind of, you know, last time we talked, we talked about like the crossover between different artistic mediums of like visual and then more abstract, like word based. Um, and it's kind of cool. I, I would imagine throughout that process, you've kind of witnessed a shift in your own creative outputs on top of everything else that's happening with, you know, pandemic and parenting and, everything else how has writing the book and kind of like transitioning from like uh, publishing routes how has that affected your creative process if at all uh creative process regarding writing or regarding painting or just in general in general in general I, well i think that um it's given me a, a ginormous new newly renewed respect for for the writing medium um, it's also uh, probably been the hardest creative project that I've ever worked on. So it's given me a lot mm. of, um, it's kind of calloused my creative process to the point where I think I have a, a slightly, I don't want to say renewed because my painting process is rather slow and tedious, but it's given me a more well-rounded calloused creative approach where I have a lot more patience, a lot less expectations that are that need to be immediately rewarded. Um, it's it just kind of reinforces, I guess it's a great word to use. It's reinforced my uh, my already solid uh, belief that you know the creative process is as slow as it needs to be. Sometimes um, it's also quite worth it, and um, it's. You know, really reminded me how the rewards are usually sitting right beyond the point of going completely insane. You know, when you have like mm. the block or the frustration or the, you know, the feeling like you're a fraud, like all those phases of wanting to like burn your project and toss it out the window. Those, yeah. right, it's like, it's like right beyond that, like just beyond that where the good stuff is. And most people never make it beyond that because that is a really, those things I mentioned are all really painful, really, really painful. Yeah. Uh, and I, I've been reading, or I should say listening to David, Gog David Goggins book. And he talks a lot about the, that sort of torture and the rewards beyond the torture in his book. And it, even though it's, he's talking about going through Navy SEAL training and I'm talking about making art in a book, which kind of sounds silly to anyone that's not an artist <laughs> or a writer. There, there right. is a comparison there. There is a comparison. Yeah. Well, it's a threshold, you know, like everyone has a pain tolerance. It's uh, the creative process has its own tolerance there, right? Like you need to kind of, 
you need to kind of like settle yourself in your own suffering in order to get to that end product. Um, I, I mean, you know, from years of experience with the painting world, like you, that's not something that's immediate. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. Even this day and age where it seems immediate with Instagram and TikTok and all these different social media outlets, it's still a process. Yes. And uh, I think the, I think the biggest lesson to be talked about or learned is, is the process because it really ultimately comes down to like, are you having fun? Are you finding reward? Are you learning something? Um, the process and the journey is something that's, it's almost talked about too much, but almost not talked about enough, you know? And um, mm -hmm. I experienced the same thing. Like when I attempt to play guitar, you know, like I love playing guitar. I'm really not great at it, but I constantly remind myself of that level, uh, that threshold you talk about of, of pain and that tolerance needed to make any sort of progress. And it's, it's unusual right. when you talk about these things, because most people, at least assume that when you're talking about a hobby or a passion or an activity that you should just want to do it. You should just love it. You know, like if you, you would just think like if you're a dancer, you just want to dance all day. And if you're a singer, you just want to sing all day. But sometimes probably more often than we want to admit the things that we say we love are the things that we started out loving at some point. It's not like, not like you don't love them, but you do them even at moments when you don't love it and, and especially at moments when you don't love it because there's some sort of a bigger purpose to what you're doing. It's not just about a quick immediate gratification of, Hey, I learned this song or I made this painting or I wrote this paragraph of something. It's, there's something more to it that, that you, that gives you purpose to the reason, the reasoning behind why am I torturing myself again? You know? Mm. And it's endless. <laughs> I feel like, Especially it if it's is. something you're pursuing, it's, it's it you know, is, you reach that first yeah. mountaintop, you reach the first mountaintop and then, you know, you turn around, you celebrate and then you look up and there's another mountaintop. <laughs> and it's not even like you just look up and you see another mountaintop. It's like you're looking for another mountaintop. And it doesn't always, uh, it doesn't always like hit you in the face. Sometimes you have to like, you know, I'm, one of the books I'm rereading right now is uh, Stillness is the Key by Ryan Holiday. And he talks about um the the aspect of like taking time to like sit sit in silence i mean in this case he's talking about you know uh, meditation but kind of like taking a step back from your practice your art whatever it is and kind of like getting a chance to recollect yourself before you try to attack that next the next goal the next mountaintop whatever it is i think that's really uh really important you know i talked to a lot of artists both um just as as friends, people I coach, um, you know, people that have a similar job to me that I just chit chat with. And it's interesting how some artists, and I say artists in a very broad sense, you know, uh, writers, artists, everyone, um, a lot of people when asked about habits and about uh, routines will talk about how it's so important to always do your thing every single day, even on moments where you don't want to. And I, I really, uh, I see that as far as the mechanical learning, as far as getting your, your physical chops down, like learning how to hold the brush or learning how to play saxophone or whatever it might be. But right. there's so much benefit in walking away. It's literally walking away. Don't think about it for a while. Take a sabbatical. There, there's a lot of benefit in, in just walking away because when you come back, there's, there's like a, a renewed uh, interest. There's a, a, a fresh, there's fresh eyes on the project or fresh ears mm. on what you're working on. 
that's so, so important to do. So important. Because sometimes you're, you're, you're so close to the project, whether it's writing or painting in my case, that you're so close to it, you just can't see the answer. And sometimes you walk away for a week or a few days or a few hours, you come back and, and the answer is just right there. And it's so super obvious. You're like, duh, how did I not see that before? <laughs> right. And it's funny too, like it, it's almost like the, it's like a floodgate where it kind of, it builds up like you, and like for me personally, when I need to take a step back, I still need to have some sort of creative outlet, but it's not necessarily in the same medium, right? So, yes. you know, right now I'm kind of, I'm taking a break from working on this novel that's been burning me out. And I'm kind of like rekindling my love of speaking of guitar. I'm, you know, I dusted off the guitars in my, yeah. my room that I haven't touched in a couple of years and just messing around just to kind of like expend that creative outlet in a different realm. Cause I find, again, this is me, but I find that it, it is a nice reset. Like, so when I do go back to the keyboard and I do go sit down and start working on that novel again, like I'm, it's almost like the floodgates are open because the creative outlets were still flowing. It just, it was like a different, you know, a different route, a different river path. Well, you know what? It's, it's, I do the same thing. I actually put down my paintbrush before because I kind of felt that, that unspoken intuitive uh, feeling of like, you know, you need to walk away. Like, when you start using your like left brain a little too much and it's not flowing anymore, and I, yeah, you know, plugged my plugged my guitar in and cranked up the amp and just played, and it's it's good to remind yourself that like creativity or expression is can and should be fun, and so and also no expectation. Like when I pick up my guitar, I don't expect to sound great, but but I, I really right. do. But I love it, and it's a lot of fun, and like that is close to more closely connected to how you felt when you were like a kid. And, but when you're doing something on a professional, you know, level, like we're doing there, there is expectation. There's, there's internal and external expectations right. and there is, there is pressure and it's not always fun. It's not like you're doing it because you're like, yeah, I can't wait to do this. You're doing it because I have to, or I want to, or I want to accomplish something. There's, there's reasoning that is beyond just like, yeah, this is fun, you know? And, Mm -hmm. and it's nice. It's nice to have that reminder of like, oh yeah, you know, I do need that creative expression in a non-expectational, fun way, also. Right, and it's. I mean, it's super important to kind of utilize those different parts of your brain too, right? Yes. Like when you, like you said, like when you're doing something on a professional level, there is that expectation because that's essentially your job, right? right. Whereas when you step aside to go pick up a guitar or. In my case, it would be a paintbrush since, you know, it's yeah. something I've always done, but I'm not a professional there. There's no, there's no expectation for me to be an expert at it or to be, you know, the next Picasso, right? I'm doing it because it's a creative outlet for me. I'm enjoying it. I'm kind of going back to my roots of like why I even got into a creative profession mm -hmm. in the first place. And I think that kind of rekindles when you go to step back to your actual area of expertise. Yeah, and you know what? Sometimes it's not even just um, just expectation alone. Because when I pick up the guitar, in my head, I'm thinking someday I do have expectations. Someday I do want to sound a certain way or be able to do a certain thing. But there's not consequences, and that's a big one. You know, like if yeah. I don't, if I don't, you know, eventually sound like like Jimmy Page, it's okay. Like I'm not going to get trouble. I'm not going to like not be able to afford my mortgage because of that. You know. There's, there's not consequences. Right. That's, that's a huge difference. Big difference, especially this day and age in the pandemic when, you know, um, there are people out there who are stuck in that boat. 
um, and it's difficult to kind of maintain a sense of balance. How do you, so uh, we could switch gears a little bit, but how, how do you kind of maintain your own sense of mindfulness amongst all this? Mindfulness in the spiritual sense? Um, either that or just meditative. I mean, how do you, how do you best reset yourself? So when it does come time for you to kind of sit back down at the canvas, you're ready to go. Oh, I feel like there's a couple different questions there to unpack. So you're, on the one hand, there's like a spiritual element of like, how, how do I as a human being tap into spirituality and meditation? And then right. also, there's also almost the, the topic of how do you, get motivated or stay motivated and working on Yeah. Work. Well, I'm, take it however um, you want. I mean, whatever, yeah, so, whatever you're more comfortable with. Yeah. So there, I mean, I'm comfortable with all of it. I, I love, um, very much interested in like spiritual life. Uh, I love to meditate when I'm, when I can make time for it, when I'm able to, uh, in all honesty, since the pandemic, I really have not been able to make a lot of time for it. It's actually, I'm in a, Everyone has a different situation during the pandemic as much as we all like to say, like, we're in this together. Like, we're not. Everyone has a really different situation. <laughs> right. So I have three kids. They're all little. We're homeschooling by choice. And so I have less time than I did before. So whereas, you know, pre-pandemic, I used to make a point of, of getting up early, meditating for like 20 to 45 minutes a day. Um, I don't really have or I guess make time, I guess is the more responsible way to say that, but uh, <laughs> it just, you know, it, my current scenario is, you know, between homeschooling and work and trying to be a good husband and father and, and just dealing with all the business and admin stuff and my job, I don't have or make enough structured time for meditation. So it just becomes part of my day. I try to be, I try to kind of check in with myself throughout the day, spiritually speaking, taking mm -hmm. conscious breaths, Coming aware of how my body is feeling, you know, visual things around me, but trying to really tap into colors, look around it, look at shadows, look at colors, look at um, how the lighting is in a room. I feel like you can, I can work on art or painting without even touching a paintbrush just by looking around, just by seeing, just by consciously observing things, you know, listening to sounds, listening to the tones, listening to the rhythm of a bird tweeting, like. There's a lot of ways to kind of tap into that without a formal structured meditative session right. as much as that is really wonderful to do. And so I feel like, uh, you know, my, my spirituality is kind of infused in my day and, and when I'm painting or when I'm doing something creative, it's like very much in the forefront as well. So that is sort of how I lately have been dealing or um, infusing spirituality and meditation into my into my life um, the other part of your question or your topic that you brought up was about how do i kind of get motivated for, for painting or for things of, of that sort that's a little different that's definitely a little bit more um part preparation and part just jumping in uh, kind of jumping out of the airplane and knitting the parachute on the way down kind of the vibe <laughs> yep. um, I try I, at this point in my life, I kind of know what does and what doesn't work for me. And so I use the combination of kind of, kind of setting a, um, setting the scene. So I, I will, depending on how I'm feeling, depending on how I want to feel, I'll put on a certain type of music or a podcast or a audio book, but depending on what I'm trying to achieve in that particular painting session, hmm. will, will kind of dictate, you know, what the DJ in my head wants. And, um, 
that's a big one. You know, making sure my studio is in a is you know visually organized and not stressful is another one. You know, like having like a salt lamp yeah. and having like a little you know Ganesha statue or like having my bookshelf or my guitar, like things around me that are inspiring, like creates an inspiring situation. And then I try to just kind of um, set myself in the mood of like, okay, this is going to happen. Expect that it's going to happen. Expect that it's going to work. And then sometimes it's just like, all right, time to paint. Let's just put music on and start painting. You know, and a lot of times it fluctuates back and forth. Sometimes I will do all those things and it does work. Sometimes it doesn't work. And it's just uh, the more you paint or draw or write or play drums, like the more you do any of those things, the more you kind of intuitively sense when when you're kind of drifting off into another lane you kind of hopefully catch yourself. Right. Uh, yeah. I guess that would be my answer to that. That's interesting. It's almost, um, I would even categorize that in the realm of spirituality almost. Cause you're, you're kind of like hacking the environment a little bit. I know I do that when I write, like if I'm writing a specific piece that tends to be a little more intense, I'll, I have a playlist that's more intense. Right. Versus right. if I'm writing like a blog post that's relaxed, you know, I, I have a playlist for that as well. And it's kind of like you, you kind of set up the, the frequencies of the things around you in order to attain that goal. Not that, and like you said, that doesn't always happen, but it's interesting when you do kind of prepare yourself for that, you almost kind of like stumble upon your result, even though you kind of like knew what you were expecting, you kind of just end up there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I feel like, um, Stumbling upon your results is a good way to put it because a lot of times it, it, when I'm not completely in the flow, which I wish I was always, but it's not. But when I'm not in the flow, it kind of sure. it could feel like you're just kind of like trying to shoot a mosquito in the dark and yeah. uh, you're just hoping eventually something will work out. You know, um, you know, I think it's important to kind of, you know, put out as many anchors as you can. So if I'm painting, if I know uh, one half inch section on the painting is is how i want it to be i kind of base the rest of the paint on that it kind of is a home mm. base it's like a, a safety blanket it's like okay no matter how screwy everything else becomes i know this one section is guiding me towards what it needs to be um, and you know setting up your your expectations setting up your environment it's, it's really important to do that you have to do that whether you're uh in a romantic setting or whether you're in a creative setting or whatever, you know, you have to have all of your senses aligned towards your outcome that you're trying to achieve. Absolutely. The, the background, the, the subconscious pieces that we often overlook are more important than we realize. So I think yeah, that's, that's yeah. super important. And so do you, and this, I don't feel like you have to answer this, but do you, with your kids, do you kind of, um, I don't want to say instill because that's probably the wrong word, but do you kind of try to teach this mindful thinking with them as well? I mean, I know they're young, but are there oh, yeah. techniques that you kind of pass on? Yeah. Well, my kids are young still. My, my boys are um, be turning six in April. My daughter is seven. So they are really young, but we, um, yeah, we've been trying to instill that sort of stuff at their level since, since they were born really. Like we've been, uh, we have a nighttime ritual where we, we all get in a circle right before bed and we do like ohms, close our eyes and get in like a, like a yogi type stance. I love that. You know, we all sit cross-legged and we all do three ohms together. And uh, our kids have like gratitude journals and we do um, sometimes before homeschooling or sometimes at night, we'll do like a, like a few minute guided meditation. And when my children were super, super young and I was like, you know, sleep 
in their crib next to them until they fall asleep. A lot of times I would do like a, uh, a meditation, like a guided meditation to get them to go to sleep. So they're, they're very familiar with like meditation. They're very familiar with like, you know, the law of attraction. We talk about manifesting, we talk about, you know, kind of karma, um, mm-hmm. talk about all these things. We do yoga with them. We do, we do hikes. We talk to them about our spiritual beliefs and our, our choices and, whether that's uh, spiritual choices or creative choices or job choices or, you know, we're, we're vegan. So like whatever we do that has any kind of a lesson behind it, we try to like, I, would, I wouldn't say um, train by any means. I would say we, we talk about, because we want to keep their right. their options open for when they grow up and can make their own decisions. But a lot of times they'll ask like, why do we do this? Or what does that do? Or, and those are, uh, it's, it's great to teach kids how to think and how to process and how to navigate situations you know it's, it's really special absolutely and uh, you know you're you're essentially teaching them you know how to create those anchors like you were saying you know like you kind of yeah. set up those those pinpoints where you want them how is that does that affect um i know you said you were homeschooling and that must be wild in the time we're living right now yeah. but does that affect that at all does that kind of come into play like i do you kind of like have overlaps there uh does it affect what specifically like um, with the homeschooling. So, yeah. you know, if you're trying to teach something concrete, like, you know, mathematics, do you kind of try to tie in those other aspects of a well-rounded life? Like you were just talking about into that, so to speak, lesson. Yeah. You know, it's not really a conscious thing because it's just part of our lifestyle. It's part of how we function. Um, so it gets, it winds up getting infused into everything. Um, mm-hmm. But I can give you an example. Like I'm, I'm, teaching my daughter like Spanish right now. And, you know, at, at the beginning it was like, why, why should I learn this? You know, why do we have to learn this? And we explained to her how, you know, it would be really great someday when you, if you could learn this, that we can go to a country together for like a month or two and you can, you can order whatever kind of food you want and get books and you can make new friends and we try to right. give them, you know, reasoning behind things. Um, we try to make them realize, and I, I, they definitely do. They definitely realize that they don't ever have to, do things or learn things and we're, we try to explain why it's important you know my kids are learning like coding right now we explain like you can make your own your own apps someday you can make your own website you know and um you know my daughter started her first business in the winter we taught her like entrepreneurial type stuff my, my daughter is seven and she made like 250 bucks in december from that's the, uh, excellent you know? yeah so you know teaching her about charity and about doing good things with the money and about um being, you know, responsibility of yourself and others. So yeah, those kinds of lessons can, can and should be infused in everything, not only in your children, but in your daily life as well. Like everyone should know the importance of their contributions that they're making throughout their choices and throughout their, their hobbies and activities and the friendships and relationships they have. And there's, there's opportunity to contribute for all those things. Right. I think it's important to instill that in the future too. I mean, you know, as a teacher, I can definitely tell, when parents kind of have those conversations with their kids, even though it's not like obvious, you know, the, the, the kinds of things that are said in class or written on assignments, like it, you can kind of just tell as the teacher that, you know, this child really values their own learning over, you know, maybe the other child whose home life is more of just focused around grades. And again, not that there's anything wrong with either one of the other, but at the same time as someone who personally values his own learning and his own thinking and his own, you know, meditation. I think it's important to kind of keep that, that balance, that the widespread kind of like 
this is all part of life and there's there is a why and it doesn't mean it's mandatory but you know it's important to think about the why <laughs> yeah that's part of you know with the, the pandemic kind of pushed us to homeschool because we really didn't want our kids to be like you know there was a lot of uncertainty like even more right. last year and we didn't want them like being in masks and being on zoom calls 24 7 and we didn't want them dealing with a lot of the stuff that pandemic schooling would potentially offer and, and no one knew what that would look like you know when yeah homeschool we just figured like you know who knows what's going to happen let's just keep them home you know but um as we've been doing it, it it's something that's that is in the forefront of my mind like do i want them to be in, in a public school settings i never really liked public school myself do i want them to be at a desk you know tr being trained to interact in the world you know uh, in, to fit in society's uh cogs and wheels do i want them to be memorizing stuff or do I want them to love learning and there's there's a lot of stuff about you know public school no offense <laughs> that I'm not, no, no, I, I'm I get not, it, yeah. not stoked about you know and so yeah. it is something that we're thinking about now like should we keep doing it do we want to send them to public school like there's, there's pros and cons to both you know sure yeah there's there's definitely you know I come from the belief of uh school is is the supplement the, the main learning and the main education should be taking place within the family, within the community that's immediately close to the child. Cause that, that experience is so much more valuable in the yeah. human mind's development than, you know, sitting at a desk <laughs> in the school, especially right now on zoom. I mean, yeah. it, it's very tough as a teacher to kind of help kids understand like why we're doing certain things in class when all they see is a screen when all they see is right. the number that's attached to the screen, you know, when normal teaching is a thing. And when I'm, you know, doing my thing in my classroom, it's, I try to kind of create an atmosphere of experience rather than grading and memorizing, you know, and mm -hmm. it's very difficult to kind of do that transition virtually with middle schoolers. That's the age level I'm at. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, it's, again, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with, either way i think it's obviously it's up to the family and how they would like to raise their own children but you know at the same time like there is there's pros and cons to both sides so there absolutely is yeah it's just is. it's just important to recognize that and i think once you start thinking about that angle that allows you to make better decisions you know for you and your yeah. your family and your your children things like that yeah. so so how does that affect their i mean i i know yeah, I love following your stories, watching a little one dropping in on the half pipe and, you know, oh, <laughs> like yeah. going oh, snowboarding yeah. and stuff. How, how do, how does that creativity come out with three different personalities? You have three different kids, they have three different interests. You're teaching them similar things for the most part. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you kind of, you share that wisdom that you've gained in your own life. How do you see that come out in their lives? Well, you know, what's really super interesting about that question is that my, my twin boys are identical twins. Mm -hmm. So biologically speaking, biologically speaking, they're like identical, identical hardware. Right. So it's right. like this crazy, um, science experiment, almost seeing how the same like hardware in air quotes is, you know, used differently with two different people. Like there's, it's, and it's funny now because obviously unless you're part of our family or a close friend, most people 
wouldn't necessarily know who's who right away. It might take them a little while. Whereas <laughs> to me, they are so different. Like they're like Chelsea and I, my wife and I constantly say to each other, like, you guys don't even like look alike anymore to us. Like they're, they're so different. Right. It's so interesting. But um, as far as how that manifests in different ways, you know, everyone has different learning styles. Everyone has different interests. Everyone has different tastes and everything. And uh, I think being a parent, you know, a lot of it comes down to learning how to help guide your child in a way that works for them. And yeah. um, that's, that's all I can really hope to do is to, to help guide them to the point when someday when they're older, where my, I'm kind of like working myself out of a job, you know, like when my daughter was first born, I remember looking at her and I don't know if I actually said this to her, or if I was thinking this, but it was almost like a, a pact that I made with her that it's, you know, because I knew parenting would potentially be hard. I was just, I was just became a dad. I was looking at this newborn and I said to myself something along the lines of like, you know, it's my job to make sure that like someday you, you don't necessarily need me. It's my job to accept you for who you are. It's my job to help guide you. It's not my job to make you an identical twin to me. It's not, not your, right. my job to mold you in a person that I want you to be or like the stuff that I like. And um, as a parent, I think the more you can take your ego out of it and just allow them to be who they are and support support them for that, I think that's the best thing you can do as a parent. Absolutely. Man, we need more parents like you in the world. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Absolutely. So I guess we can kind of shift gears a little bit. Um, as far as pandemic life goes, homeschooling, um, running your business, your wife running her business, how has that affected your your process, your creation process in all of this? I mean, you you got, again, you got multiple projects. You got the book going on. You got the podcast. You got your painting how has this kind of shifted the way that you kind of operate to expel your own creativity? Um, I think the homeschooling thing has been a big change because it requires more time. And, you know, my kids were in um, pre-K and kindergarten before all this. And so we had, we had, uh, they were going to a private, you know, pre-K and kindergarten. Um, mm -hmm. And so having, when we had that time each day to just be able to work, it gave us a window that we don't have right now. We don't have that time. We don't have a nanny or babysitter. It's, it's just us. I also had a um, had an employee at the time. I no longer have that either. Um, so there, there's, I would say I have more stuff on my plate right now and less time to do it. And but that being said, I think it's just been an absolute joy to have this much more time with my children and, and to, to have, it's a blessing really, you know, it's as much as, you know, I wish I was, I had more time to work and do my stuff on my to-do list. And, uh, you know, I wish I was making more money and all those things. Like I, sure. I already see like how fast the time is going and I don't want to leverage my parenting to, a nanny or babysitter or school or daycare. I like having this, you know, amazing time with them. So um, it has affected my creativity a lot. It's affected my work, uh, my ability to work quite a bit. Um, but it's not something that I'm resentful of. It's not something that um, I'm in any giant urge to, um, to change. But right. um, 
yeah, it just comes down to like you just can't you can't do everything that you want to do. Like I have a ginormous list of stuff that I want to do both personally and professionally, and I just accept the fact that I can only do one or two things a day, and then it, before you know it, it's dinner time, and that's that's how it goes. <laughs> yep. um, it just it's just different when you, when you don't have kids, you have all the time in the world, and you you're you're still stressed, and you think you have no time, and then you have kids, and you realize oh, when I was complaining about having no time, I actually had <laughs> time, and, and uh, you know, it's it's a eye-opening experience, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you talk, you know, I imagine you've honed your multitasking abilities a little bit. I, I know before we started recording, uh, you'd mentioned how you were going to be painting while we were chatting. <laughs> yeah. Has that has that come in at all? I mean, ha- have you found yourself kind of trying to overlap things where you could? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I've been doing that for a very, very long time. Even before children, I would try to like. Uh, work on a project, listen to a podcast, uh, do emails, do everything all at the same exact time. It's just when you're an entrepreneur, you sort of learn learn that. Um, and you also learn your limitations. Like you learn when a certain project demands all of your attention and time. Mm. Uh, there, so it's not, you figure out like when, when you're able to multitask without impinging upon the quality and you learn, you know, when it's time to like just put all your attention in one thing. Like right now, I am I am painting while talking to you, but um, I don't know if this is strange or not. But sometimes I actually paint like way better when talking because it keeps my mind off of um, that monkey mind that Tim Ferriss always talks about. It's like you um, keep your your left brain mind somewhere else while my creativity just does its own thing. And so, uh, depending on what I'm painting and what phase of the painting I'm at. Like right now, I feel like I'm painting the best I've painted in like three weeks because probably because I'm just, I'm just talking and it keeps my mind busy and I'm not sitting here stressed out like, oh man, it sucks. You know, what, what can I do right. to fix this? Like, you know, it's uh, so yeah. Does that answer your question? I forgot what the question even was already. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Um, I I read this really fantastic book called Becoming Supernatural by Joe Dispenza recently. Yeah, it's a great book. I've read that. Yes, fantastic book. But he talks about a little trippy when he talks about how he kind of like traveled. It almost sounds like he was like traveling back in time or something. Like yeah, some some of it gets a little hokey. Where I'm like, really, Joe? (laughs) Right, right. Like really, and then then it's like you get to the he has the the color inserts in the middle, and he has like all that data, and you look at the data, and you're like, wow, this. I know it sounds fluffy, but then you look at like the results, and you're like, man, that's that's wild. Like I wonder if this works. But I guess you know to each their own everyone has their own experience with something like that you know yeah. especially with without chemical vices we'll say but you know i have like mixed uh, opinions on how legit his his stuff is i i want it to all be true i love the idea of like quantum healing and i love the idea of all of that yeah yeah but but some of the stuff in practice i'm like really you just kind of like do this and do that and but um I have had some pretty trippy experiences purely met in, you know, purely meditating where I would kind of see things and hear things. And I, I, but I don't know if that's per se his techniques or just meditation in general. I, I feel like you can kind mm-hmm. of manage that a number of ways, you know? Yeah. Uh, same. I, I can vouch for the, the same experience. And, you know, in my own meditation, I, I kind of try to take in everything I've learned and combine it to kind of fit my own, you know, my own brain, my own mentalities. Yeah. And this is where I was kind of going with that is you kind of mentioned about like the, the unconscious brain working alongside the conscious brain. Like the fact that we're like having this conversation 
and you're painting at the same time, which is like an unconscious habit, but at the same time, it's kind of like doing its own thing and it's coming out better than you would expect. You know, that's yeah. kind of what rung the bell for me. Yeah. Another great book on that topic. If you haven't read it is uh, the rise of Superman. Have you read that one yet? I have not rise of uh, Superman. Yeah, Who's the author? Stephen Kotler. Okay. He talks a lot, but he's like uh, really big into like flow states and he, that's basically what the book is about. He, Mm. at it from an angle of like extreme athletes is, is the majority of the book um, yeah however any creative person can can find a, a very obvious uh parallels when he's talking about a creative um flow state through athleticism or through dangerous situations you can immediately find the parallel of oh yeah i, I get that that makes sense um, yeah really good stuff i'll have to add that to my list right now write down notepad um yeah i can definitely you know i grew up playing ice hockey and i know i know like when i when i'm in that flow state uh athletically like i feel like it's you're almost like weightless and i i know what it also feels like when i'm working on my art and even though they're not exactly the same there's definitely similarities in there Mm -hmm. but it's almost like you hit that you hit that sweet spot and you just kind of you kind of let go you let go of the reins and you kind of just let the unconscious guide you. Well, that's what I love about um, learning any kind of learning or I would say expressing yourself in any creative medium. Like I feel like um, you kind of have to get your chops down. Right. So if you're playing like, guitar, mm-hmm. for instance, like I, I'm not at the point in guitar where I can just be like, I want to play this song and here, here's how it comes out, you know, or I'm, I'm not at the right. point of, I'm not at the point of, of fluency yet. Like I can't just speak in guitar. But with, with art, I may not always be successful, but I can I can speak in art. You know, I can have a conversation in art. I can express myself in art. And right. it, it does take a lot of time, those 10,000 hours. It does take a lot of time, a lot of dedication yep. to get the fluency, to get the vocabulary and the language of a, of a creative medium. But once you get it, that's when the cool stuff happens. That's when you can actually, like, really say something, really speak it, really understand it on new levels, you know, make comparisons and analyze uh, other creative people's work in, in a totally different way where it um, doesn't necessarily lose the magic, but things make sense. You know, I feel like visual art is interesting because, uh, I don't know, this is kind of an annoying pet peeve of mine, but it seems like in our current society, visual art specifically has no bar, right? So if you're Mm-hmm. If you're anyone famous or rich or of influence and you decide to be an artist, you can have a very famous, a very uh, successful art career the next day. You know, you could be right. any, any actor in Hollywood that's famous and have an art show and sell billions of dollars of art because people don't necessarily know or care about the difference between actual art and just memorabilia. And it's easy. Yep. To, it's easy to fool people. You know, it's easy to kind of be a fraud because well, if I could have, you know, uh, an autograph by this person, why would I not want a painting by them? So now it becomes collectible. Um, yeah. You can't really do that in a lot of other creative mediums. Like you can't do that with with books. You know, you can't do that with gourmet cooking or with ballet dancing. But with with visual art specifically, you can pretty much just fake it and still make billions of dollars. That's true. I would have to disagree with you with the books though. Only, only because, you know, you see all these famous people dropping a book, like, like, you know, 
some dude from the Jersey Shore, right. Snooky, or, or the situation, uh, they drop a book and you're like, they didn't write that. Like, that's somebody else that wrote it. You know, they had a ghostwriter. I'll, I'll put back on that. So they, they hired a ghostwriter, but the ghostwriter had chops. Mm, yeah, okay. Yeah, so their name, in my eyes, their name should be on the cover, not, you know, exactly. Snooky or whoever. I but don't have, I don't know how ghost, <laughs> like, ghostwriting shouldn't, it shouldn't be legal to say you wrote something and you didn't write it. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I don't know how that works. Aside, I've done some ghostwriting with like blog posts and stuff. I don't know how it works in the the large scale book industry, but I imagine you know if the paycheck's big enough, like yeah, sure, I'll keep my mouth shut. (laughs) I mean, even like David Goggins' book that I'm listening to now, he has he not only has a ghostwriter, but in the audio version, his ghostwriter is is like reading reading it for him and very openly on this I'm David Goggins ghostwriter I'm reading you the book and then they have conversations throughout the book so like it's very much accepted but no, those ghostwriters do have to have and, and and always do have chops you know they have skills it's not like with yeah you know but, absolutely but on the other side there's like a movie um exit through the gift shop have you seen that one yes so good so you know Mr. Brainwash is like a good example because he just hired people to do art for him and then he signed it and said it was his, you know? So I guess you can, that, yeah. you know? Right. And now uh, he has some stupid followers. Like I want to say like in the millions close, close to who he was trying to atti- um, in, in, blah, 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 imitate yeah, with um, Shepard Ferry. Shepard. Yeah. yeah. He was, you know, it's like he, he was, he even admits that in that documentary and how he was trying to like copy the style and stuff. And then he just kind of, you know, over time, people forget about that aspect, and they kind of just latch on to the people the logo. People are fucking sheep, dude. People are fucking. <laughs> yeah, that's my thing, man. I don't want you to think like me. I just want you to think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but on, man. I don't know. It's interesting because I think you know the 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 skills over time, like you said, that that ten thousand hour rule uh, with Gladwell. That's you know the the skills over time do eventually become unconscious to the point where you can kind of enter that flow state. But it's interesting that like you have to earn it. You know, I never really thought of it that way, but it's totally true. You have to like, you got to earn that flow state in order to get there. You can't, you got to put in the work to get good enough where your, your unconscious knows how to just handle the brush or, you know, hold the pick without you actually using your analytical mind to analyze that. I think, I think that's pretty important to recognize. You know, it's very similar like to being a parent. You watch your children go from like literally crawling around, to, like learning how to walk, to learning how to run, to learning how to hop. Like you see it every day with your kids, like how they can learn these skills or how to say mama, dad, dad. Next thing you know, they're like asking you questions and like talking about like, you know, all kinds of stuff. So it's like, mm-hmm. Yeah, with, with kids, we see it all the time. And then as adults, for some reason, we forget that things are supposed to be hard. You're supposed to, like, fall down a lot. You're supposed to mess up. It's okay to, like, not be great at something for a long, long time, It's you know? But we know, that with, yeah. we know that with kids. But then with adults, we're like, well, I watch this freaking YouTube video. Why am I not good at this yet? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, you know, that comes back to the – I don't want to keep knocking public school because that's where I'm at. But, like, that comes back to that because the, the creativity, the imagination, the – the experimentation, the experience, that kind of stuff gets beaten out of you by the time you're off to college, you know, and then all of a sudden you're expected to just, you know, join, join the workforce and, and use all of this analytical thinking without the, without, without the other side of that, without the imagination, without the creativity. And it's difficult for an adult to reclaim that, you know, cause we've been 
you know, we spent years ingraining these unconscious habits, not that they're bad, but like leaning one way instead of the other way. And to unlearn something in that regard, I mean, that's, it, it's very difficult to do. And you know, as well as I do, for the most part, people tend to take the easy route, <laughs> yeah, whatever's well, most comfortable. You know, plus nowadays also, you're not supposed to like, you know, criticize or, you know, there people are pushing back about um, everything now. So it's not like kids aren't even allowed to have the rough, hard experiences of, of failing. It's like everyone has to be, everyone has to pass the test. Everyone has to be the same level. Everyone, you know, no one can do better or worse than anyone else. It's like we're, we want to yep. just make everyone identical instead of, you know, we're letting some kids thrive in some things. Some kids don't thrive in some things. Like we don't allow them the right. experience of finding out who they are or how they learn or what they're good at or bad at. Like everyone's just got to like have their feelings and emotions preserved or else, you know, like everyone's just too afraid to let their kids do anything. And it's, uh, it's atrocious. It's sad because it does make you think where the where where the world is going to be in twenty years when these kids are adults, you know, who are unable to kind of uh, think with that other side of their brain. It's a little little alarming, <laughs> you know. And I I try to instill that growth mindset in my classroom, but you know, I'm only one person. <laughs> Unless the child is experiencing that at home yeah. again with the actual ex, uh, education, the idea is kind of lost in translation. So, and again, that's kind of where, that's the whole point of this podcast, if I'm being honest, is yeah. like trying to help people understand that learning is not so structured. It, it can be laid back. It can be low key. And as simple as just listening to two people talk about something, yes. talk about their creative process or their meditation practice or where, you know, whatever it is, not that you're, that's going to make you an expert, but that does open neural pathways in your brain to allow you to explore those things further. You know what, Glenn? I, I mean, if my, my book writing experience has taught me anything, it's reinforced the fact that the process and the mindset is everything. Like my book started out, I was originally going to write about, you know, how to use my mm -hmm. skills and how to use my experiences and teach people ways to, uh, you know, become a more successful artist, like the very spoon feedy. Here's step one, two, and three. I had to do this or that. And as I got to writing, I started realizing all that garbage is not going to necessarily make you a more successful or better artist. It may make you better. It may learn some right. hacks or some tricks up your sleeve. You may learn some cool like things. But like the thing that makes – I don't want to even say this, but like the things that makes people like me or people like you or people that are actually doing something with their talent, what makes us different is the mindset. It's not like – I can teach you how to draw a freaking eyeball or I can teach you how to paint a wave, but it's like, okay, great. You learn right. how to paint that one specific eyeball. You learn how to draw that one specific wave, whatever. Now what? But like, it's the mindset. It's the, how you think about art. It's the, how you think about your, your purpose, how you think about what you're doing, how you navigate the creative space. Like those are the lessons that matter so much more. And it, it, it takes a certain kind of a person to be interested in those things as opposed to someone who's going to go to YouTube for a quick step one, two, three tutorial on how to like, how to paint a leg or whatever, like some stupid thing like that. Right. There's a, some, some people like are going to go learn how to, you know, play a, uh, a solo on a song. And some people are really want to, they really want to learn how to think like a guitarist. And those are, they're both fine, but a, a higher level creative person 
needs to push themselves into the arena of like, how do I expand my mindset? How do I really understand the space that I'm in as opposed to just learning these hacks and tricks, you know? Yes. Yes. The content is not the end goal. Yeah. The process is the end goal. You have to think about that. You're thinking I, again, I try to do this all the time in class. It's difficult with middle schoolers when, you know, you only see them an hour a day, but you know, if I can reach one, one kid and get them to understand how much that growth mindset affects the rest of everything else they do with their life, that's a win yeah. in my book. Um, you know, it's, it's not easy to adopt that style of thinking, especially after, you know, years of being exposed to all kinds of things on the internet, on YouTube and, and tutorials and, you know, uh, you know, box unravelings and, uh, and all kinds of things that kind of just eliminate that thinking process for you. You know, it's hard to kind of like recenter yourself and, and put yourself back in the thinking shoes. Yeah. <laughs> so plus thinking about like what's your contribution? Like how are you contributing? You know, how are you, how are you right. inspiring others? How are you pushing forward a message or a learning or um, an experience? How are you translating that? through your medium so someone else can pick it up 10 years from now, five years from now, hundred years from now. Like when I go to a museum and I'm, I'm sitting there staring at not only the subject matter and the obvious, the composition and all that stuff, but I'm like thinking like, I'm looking at the paint strokes. I'm like wondering why did he use that brush? Why did, why did he yes. use that medium? Like I could see what they did here. Like, is there an advantage to that? Is there something I could learn? The way they handle the light, like why does that light look as luminous as it does? What did they do? How did they do it? Why did they do it? And I see a transition from one painting to the next. Like those are the things that I've learned from the old masters. And like I can learn from dead artists that have been dead for 500 years more than I can learn from a YouTube tutorial. Yeah, exactly. I, I read books the same way. You know, it's like why did they, especially fiction why did this author phrase this sentence or make this character do this thing? Yeah. You know, it's one thing to absorb what, what the plot is trying to tell you, what the story's trying to tell you, but it's another thing to think about why the author made them do that. You know, there's a huge piece of like the author's cultural background yeah. Yeah. in their art. I mean, that, that goes across mediums, not just books, but you know, it, all of those things play a role in, in the product, in the content, which again, isn't necessarily the end product. That's the thing that people recognize that's the thing that outlasts time and people see, you know, over, like you said, like hundreds of years later, but there's, mo there's so much more to that. There's so many layers to the product that are not visible. And the only way to see them is to actually, again, like adopt that mindset of, of thinking about your own thinking, <laughs> thinking about the growth in your brain, because then you start to see how other people process that kind of information. I like to think of my, and oh, then sorry, go ahead. give it back. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just, I was just going to yeah. say is like, then you start to see the, the, how that spreads mm -hmm. and how those people chose to then give it back and contribute back to the community. Like you were talking about. I like to think of, um, our, our creative work. I like to think of my paintings as, as, as little more than souvenirs of the process. It's, it's what, it's what's left. It's the relics of the work, you know? It's, yeah. And obviously it's important, but it's not necessarily the most important thing as you've alluded to a few times so eloquently. 
which is, it's kind of interesting once you, I mean, that's a whole nother, we'll have to do a whole nother podcast episode on something like that. But like, then you start to recognize like your own thinking and like, well, why did I, why did I use this brushstroke? Was it me or was it my unconscious just randomly choosing it? You know, <laughs> why did I, why did I make this character do this? I thought it was just a random choice, but is it some, is my, is my subconscious trying to tell me something? I mean, that's the whole like, you know, Nietzsche side of it, Freudian side of it. But <laughs> I mean, yeah. you could, there's so many layers there that I think touch base on just to kind of bring this back full circle, but like the, the the spiritual side of it the the mindfulness side of it of of the artists themselves included in the actual art because it that presents more of a full picture than just the end product and i think about that stuff all the time when i'm creating like for for me and i wrote about this in my book like i I look at it as though there's like separate entities within me that are painting Mm -hmm. and like each entity has a specialty or has something that they're good at or bad at each of them like I kind of personify them. You show them like different music. Like there's one, there's a painter in me that, that yeah. likes to listen to gangster rap. And there's just a painter in me that likes to listen to podcasts or classical music. And you know, there's, there's a part of my painting personalities that loves to sit there and like nerd out with like a brush, a hair, you know, a, a brush that has like three hairs on it. With crazy little details. And like, that's what he, that's what he <laughs> fucking loves to do. And then there's, there's just, you know, a, a painting persona in me that likes to just, go hog wild and throw a brush around and have drips and splatters everywhere. And um, I think the more you can kind of think of them as almost like separate entities, the more you can realize that you're, you're kind of, you have this built in team that's, that's working with you. And it's, it's interesting to think about things that way. Absolutely. And you have to, it's important to allow yourself to explore those, those avenues, you know, don't, don't limit your thinking and saying like, no, this is wrong. People aren't going to like this. Like just because you make something doesn't mean you have to publish it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is the same thing it goes back to playing guitar. It's like, you know, I don't intend to make music anytime soon. Who knows? I mean, I'm not going to limit that out, but at the same time, I'm just doing it to kind of follow the Avenue and see where it goes. Yeah, yeah exactly. So you're, 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 being, you're, being, you're being called to it. And so it's your job to listen and see what the, the muses uh, have to say, see if it's worth pursuing or not but uh, right. the frequencies man yeah. the frequencies are everything hey uh i don't know if you announced this yet and don't feel free to shun me down here but <laughs> what's the name of your book that's an awesome does it have a name that's yet? An awesome question it had, it had like two working t- i had one working title and then it had another working title for about two years and i feel like if i was if i was a very very famous author that title would work so well but considering i'm not i've been uh, persuaded, I think intelligently, to come up with a title that is um, going to speak to people that don't know me as an artist or an author, uh, something that's more descriptive. So I have a couple things that fall into that category, but I, it's not finalized yet. Otherwise, I'd be happy to share. All right. I'm just trying to prod here, see if we can get a little uh, yeah. betterism first exclusive, you know? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jay, man. Um, I want to be with your time. I know you got kids. I hear them running around and stuff. Um, you want to switch gears to the uh, the rapid fire questions here? Whatever you want to do, I'm fine, brother. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I call these rapid fire, but your answers in no way, shape, or form have to be quick answers. If you want to expand, you can. And if you don't, that's cool too. Right on. All right. So the first one is what, and you kind of talked about this already, but what book are you currently reading and would you recommend it to our listeners? Uh, yeah. Well, we've talked about that a bunch of times. David Goggins' book is uh, what I'm currently reading. 
although um, I will open up my Audible, and I would recommend it highly. It's a great book, especially for dudes, but uh, it's a really great book. Yeah. I'll, I'll open up my Audible real quick while we're chatting to see what else I've been listening to. I, I'm, list, I'm like re-listening for the second time um, Seed of the Soul by Gary Zukov. And, mm, another good one. Yeah, I really like that quite a bit. Um, it's my second time through. Really love it. I definitely would recommend that as well. I just finished um, Anthony DeMillo's Awareness, which I'm, I'm really, I really love. There's an amazingly uh, that's been on my radar. Great book, really great book. Uh, very spiritual. I think it's like almost, kind of like a precursor to like Eckhart Tolle's books. So if you're into Eckhart okay. Tolle, it's kind of like a precursor to those. You can see how Eckhart Tolle pull, pulled some influence from Anthony DeMillo. Uh, really, really right, right. That. I'll have to cut that. Um, on like a more conference, like a more controversial political front, I, I finished the coddling of the American mind by uh, John Penn Height, which is scary <laughs> but really, really good book. Uh, really interesting. Yeah. Um, yep. Scary topics. Um, and then for like the fourteenth time, I listened to recently again uh, "Power of Now" by Eckhart Tolle. Something I've listened to a million times. I probably so good. To it a million more. Um, there's a million. I could keep going on and on, but those are some of the things. <laughs> that so follow-up question. This is not one of the questions, but how do you, how do you choose what to listen to? Or I guess read, we should say. Well, how do you choose like what book to consume next? Um, whatever interests me. You know, how do you decide what you want to eat? You know, it's like whatever, um, whatever's calling to me. I, I, I kind of uh, try my best to go with whatever interests me, but then also whatever fuels me or feeds me also. So uh, I know that I one of the topics that I want to keep learning about, keep getting better at is spiritual type topics. So I try to always have at least one or two spiritual related books that are in on cycle uh, that, you know, I'll listen to, listen to again and again, I kind of re, you know, kind of go over those in a loop. Um, it's very yeah. important to, because if I don't, if I lose touch with those sorts of books, I find myself getting falling into bouts of depression or sadness or anxiety when I, when I feel those mental or emotional triggers, I know it's time to get back into listening to the, one of those types of books. And um, I think ever since the pandemic, I've been extremely interested in a lot of um, political, social type topics that are rather terrifying for me. So I feel like in, as a, in an effort to educate myself, um, I generally have some heavier topics that I will usually listen to as well. And then I like uh, yeah. I like books that are kind of motivating, like the, the Goggins book or like Tony Robbins or like things like that. So generally, I like nonfiction that something I can learn from, something that betters me, something that uh, helps change my mindset. Yeah, that's interesting. It's a uh, that that topic has come up a lot. Putting your like intentionally putting yourself in a discomforting situation or uh, exposing yourself to an uncomfortable, the, the, the uncomfortable topic yeah. with, with the intent to actually like learn from it. Um, that's on the podcast quite a few times. And I think it's important too, because you know, that's, that's how you grow. That's how you kind of recognize whether or not your thinking is heading the wrong way or not. If you just channel yourself, I mean, you know how social media works. Like if you just channel yourself into one silo, like that's only, you're only hurting yourself. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Um, I really, really am very conscious to not, put my time into like fluff. Like I don't watch reality shows. I don't, I generally don't, I don't watch the news. I don't even, 
I, ra- I rarely read the news. I usually scan headlines or like we'll watch, listen to podcasts or things, but um, I'm very conscious of what I'm consuming and the effects that it has on me. And uh, I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly putting myself in, in uncomfortable situations. I, I enjoy that. I enjoy that a lot. I, I enjoy the muscle and the callus get from doing those kinds of things. Sure. I mean, that's how anything works, right? That's how muscle builders like build their muscle. You got, you got to put yourself through pain in order to get that, that desired outcome. Um, And it's important to kind of, you know, think about how it affects you too. I I get a similar vibe with the spiritual books. Like I notice if I kind of set, like I'm always reading three or four books at the same time. And if I set aside a spiritual book to pick up something else, I I kind of fall into the lull as well. And You know, it's, it's part of life. You, you learn to like, you know, you learn to sort through your own darkness, but at the same time, it's another one of those brain hacks. You can, if you're careful, you can kind of, kind of choose to kind of manipulate your own thinking in that manner. Yeah, you very much can. I feel like um, diet, exercise, what you're consuming as far as books and content, media and content, those, I feel like what you consume with content is just as important as in a lot of ways is as what you're eating or whether you're exercising or not. Yep. I call it the, the device diet because how you are consuming it is also important, right? If you're, if you, it's only, you're getting your news through your screen, not that that's bad, but you know, that that's affecting your eyes, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, I definitely have, uh, my eyes are definitely not as not what they used to be for sure. But I'll, I'll be honest, like almost everything I consume is through a screen. <laughs> like, I don't, I, I, yeah. I like, can't remember the last time I actually read a paper book. I just don't have, I literally don't have the time in the day to like only do one activity. Like I, I right. literally don't, it's not even possible. Yeah. Well, it's tough. I mean, again, the way that our society is currently set up, it's, it's very difficult to, to set that time, you know, especially as a parent who's homeschooling and running two businesses and stuff like that's, that is challenging in itself. Um, even if you're not doing all that stuff. So Fucking absurd. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, no, no time in the day. Like that's, that's one of my uh, flaws is not giving myself or not. Ha- I shouldn't say giving myself because I would normally give myself, but I don't have the time to do a lot of the stuff, the self care stuff that I, I wish I had time for. I, mm. I just generally, yeah. I don't, I just don't have it. I think it's important that you're at least aware of it, you know, cause that, that's at least a step in the right direction. Cause there are people out there that aren't even aware that those decisions are affecting their, their health, both physical and mental. God, people that like, uh, you know, just completely waste their time by doing bullshit. It's just so frustrating. I'm like, do you know what I would give to have that kind of time? And you're like, yeah, right. You're like, <laughs> the amount of garbage. things I could accomplish. Yeah, like you're, sitting, you're <laughs> sitting around doing nothing, like nothing useful. Like you're wasting your time. Like really? Like it makes you want to, like gets me so angry. I'm like, really? The amount of books I could write, <laughs> paintings I could paint. Just like stuff you can, you know, stuff you can learn, experiences you can have, like things you can do, even if it, even if it's doing nothing and meditating. Like people that are mm-hmm. not, that are not, that that can be bored, that don't allow themselves to be, it's just like unbelievably foolish. Like I, I, I wish mm-hmm. I was able to be bored. Like that must be amazing. And like people will sit there and like stare at a screen or like just, you know, scroll through social media endlessly because they're bored or they don't want to actually do anything or they just want to complain yeah. or they want to have confirmation bias and why everything is horrible. I'm like, you know, <laughs> you'd be learning or doing or achieving or helping people with like. I mean, dude, honestly, that's, that is why the, the ocean works wonders. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I intentionally go up to the ocean, go surfing, swimming, whatever, 
and leave my phone home just because I, I, I am trying to force myself to do nothing, to stare at the waves, to listen to the waves, to, you know, put my feet in the sand and like stare at the sky, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. intentionally trying to put myself in that position where like, I can't, even if I was tempted, I couldn't pick up the phone, you know? So that's not easy. Not easy at all. It's so hard. So hard. So hard. But yeah. All right. uh, So question two, that was a really, (laughs) Uh, really long winded rapid fire. I'm not, I'm not a very like uh, uh, question two. Not, not talking in person. Sorry, brother. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right, man. And we'll have to do one of these. You know, when COVID is over, we'll have to do like an actual yeah, mic man. to mic. There you go. <laughs> um, all right. So question two: What's your favorite meal to prepare and cook? This could be for yourself, could be for your family, for your friends. Um, but do you have a favorite dish? Uh, those are two different questions. Do I have a favorite dish and what do I like to cook? Those are two different things you're asking. <laughs> um, do you, yeah, right. I, I guess what I'm asking is the one you like to. Uh, all right. So I'll, I'll, I'll answer it in, in, in. Maybe both. I guess maybe both. <laughs> I don't know. All right. So I'm, I'm very, um, I'm weird like this. Okay. Cause I, I, it seems like most people don't do this, but I very much look at food as fuel. And so every morning I make pretty much the exact same shake. I've been doing that for years. Um, and I not only have no problem with eating the exact same thing every morning, but I like it because um, I know I'm hitting every nutritional content possible. And I find it uh, the ritual of it relaxing and, and stabilizing. Um, if I if I wasn't eating for nutrition, if I was if I could magically eat whatever the hell I wanted and it wouldn't affect my health whatsoever or, or my energy levels, then I really love, uh, I'm more of a crunchy, salty type guy. So like Chinese food, mm. you know, Asian foods, um, you know, things like that are, are awesome. Pizza, those things are great, like vegan pizza. Um, but I, I generally, Can't go wrong. I, I generally, all my favorite foods, I, to be honest, I generally don't eat. Like I, I eat pretty much as like treating myself like I'm a robot and what fuels me. And if it doesn't fuel me well, or if I'm not going to feel good, I don't eat it. I've been using that mind frame too since the pandemic started because, you know, like gym time, ice hockey, like I was talking about, like those normal exercises that I normally get have been eliminated for like an entire year now. So, you know, I'm trying to be more mindful of what I'm consuming in that regard too. I'm not perfect. So of course I slip up here and there, but it's important to recognize that like what you, what you are, what you eat, (laughs) you are what you think, you are what you consume, (laughs) you know, like all of those things kind of play a role important to think about that so you know, you know what man like i i had three kids within 18 months right and my boys my twin boys were colicky and i literally didn't sleep for about 18 months or more like literally didn't sleep for like maybe more than an hour or two a night so like and plus i i found out over the past couple years that i have Lyme. so those things combined like anything that makes me tired or between like the trauma of not sleeping with my kids or like my, you know, my, uh, my Lyme disease, like, I, I feel really, like, yeah. groggy and lethargic. And, like, if I do anything that deviates from, you know, how I, how I described how I eat, if I do anything that deviates from that, I feel it immediately. I feel like shit. I feel exhausted. Yeah. I feel tired. And then I, I, I'm just a very, I grew up, like, being a very insecure kid. And, like, anything that's going to make me more insecure or not feel good about myself physically it's just bad for my like psyche. It's bad for my, like how I feel about myself. So I try to exercise yeah. and, and do things because I, I, I'm like very outcome driven. I want to feel a certain way. I want to be a certain way. You know, I want to be able to do 
do things a certain way. Right. And why wouldn't you, if you knew how to get to that point, like, why wouldn't you do it? You know? Yeah. So cool. All right. Uh, third and final question doesn't have to be profound, but it can be if you want to, what is one life lesson you'd like to pass on to the listeners today? Like one thing you really think kind of hones home. Well, I think, uh, first thing that's coming to mind is, uh, I don't know how to even phrase it, but I think the past year has just, um, made me think a lot about just being a good person, just living your life. Um, not judging everyone. I very much am, uh, thinking about the importance of having freedom and space and permission to both speak how you want, create like you want, believe like you want, and to not not be a fucking sheep. I think too many people are sheep right now in general. I'm not going to say more than that, but like as a rule of thumb, I don't care how you interpret that, but like think for yourself. Don't spit out talking points with garbage, you know, like have a conversation based on how you feel about things, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. You know, live, live and be like an artist or a writer, you know, have something to say and, and don't be afraid to say it. I love that. I think the world needs more of that right now for yeah. sure. Yeah, man. Awesome, man. All right, Jay. Um, Thanks, Glenn. Good talking. I'm, Appreciate I'm, you. Yeah, I'm so grateful. Thing. So grateful for your time. And I'm, I appreciate you and your work and everything you've done to inspire me as an artist. Um, where can listeners find you online if they want to reach out, check out your stuff? Yeah, I appreciate that. Anyone that cares to can just look up my name and you'll find me in like every social media everywhere. Uh, Jay Alders, A-L-D-E-R-S. Um, I'm on Instagram probably the most, but I'm also on Facebook and YouTube and Pinterest and you name the social media, I'm pretty much on it. So, Otherwise, my website is, is a great resource if you want to see like the body of my work or if you care to um, consider making a purchase of any sort. I have all my art, my merchandise, everything that helps my, my family get by. That's all on jayalders.com. Yep. And listeners, too, I also highly recommend his newsletter. Very insightful when it does come through. Oh, thank you. Thank you, brother. Yeah, I'm, I'm not so great with that lately. Again, Time, tough, time man. is uh, straight, you know? <laughs> that's that's true. It is of the essence. All right, I'm man. not bombarding you. you know? At least I'm not bombarding you with like every three days of the newsletter. This is true. I can't tell you how many how many emails, I'm sorry, how many newsletters I've had to unscribe from right. during the pandemic because like people were just bored and writing useless newsletters. I'm like, all right, out, I'm out, I'm out. <laughs> right on. All right, Great man. Talking, yeah, man, it's been real. Uh, be well, and we'll talk soon. All right, brother. Later. Hey guys, just one more quick thing before you take off. Um, I wanted to take a second to express my sincere gratitude for your time and your attention. It's appreciated way more than you realize. Um, If you'd like to support our cause and what we're doing here at Betterism, there's a few ways you could do that. Um, You could share, rate, or review the show. Um, It's available wherever you get podcasts. You can join our blog and contribute some of your wisdom to our growing family. Or if you're able to, you can donate or subscribe any amount to paypal.me slash bingbang. That link is in the show notes. Um, Thanks again so much for your time, and I hope you have a great day.
Well, that's it, friends. Thanks for tuning in. I hope to swing through again. If you'd like to reach out, uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at medium.com slash betterism. Be better at whatever it is you're building. And remember, friends, stay learning. <laughs>